0: So good evening everyone, welcome to Calvary Church and I'm glad you found us tonight and I'm glad you're with us as we worship the Lord together. Um, I hope you've had a good week and I hope you're keeping well in this difficult time and we pray the Lord will bless us tonight as we come as his people, even if we're not physically present, uh, as we come to worship him, to pray to him, to seek his face together. Now as you know this was due to have been our church weekend away in Dalesdown and obviously that's not been able to happen this year so um, rather than um, doing what I'd normally do at this time on a, on a church weekend I'm here recording this for you in the church and uh, we're, we're sorry we haven't been able to go this year but of course um, we can still come together as a church family um, in this way. And the, the theme of our church weekend was, was to be the local church, which is a theme which we, we um, hold very dearly in our church. We understand the importance of God's plan for the local church. And our speaker for the weekend was due to have been our friend David Skull from Grace Church in Guildford. So David has recorded a message on the theme of the local church, which will follow this short introduction today so please stay tuned in for that and listen to what David has to say as he brings God's word to us also please don't forget that on Wednesday evening you can join us for our online zoom prayer meeting if you haven't been able to be to have been part of that so far please contact us and we'll make sure that you're included you get an invitation for Wednesday night at 7:45. let's pray Dear Father, we thank you that you've kept us through this week, we thank you that you've blessed us and helped us, we thank you, Father, for the many encouragements and good things that we see you doing in these days, and not least, Lord, for your work in our church and in, in the hearts and, and lives of your people. We pray as we meet together tonight, Lord, in this way that you'll bless us and help us. Please speak to us, and please, Lord, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before we sing, I'd like to read a few verses from the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, verses 21 to 25. So that's Isaiah 45, 21 to 45. I'm just going to read a small section. Declare what is to be, present it, let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone, are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exalt. Dear friends, what will keep us encouraged in these days when there's so much discouragement and so many things around us to dishearten us and discourage us and sadden us? and perhaps make us anxious. Well, I I believe what will keep us going, what will enable us to lift up our heads are a knowledge, is a knowledge of God's truth, the truth of God's word, the ability to glory in the person of God, the, the ability to understand better the attributes of God, what is God like, the characteristics of God, his character, his person, and also to to exalt, to to rejoice in his promises for his people. Those are the things that if we we use this time to to grow in knowledge of, will help us to be encouraged and knowledge of our God. In these verses, we see some very important and encouraging truths about God. And I won't spend long on this, but I just want to, to draw a few points out this evening. The first thing we see here is the fact that God God presents himself as being the only God and the only saviour. Verse 21, there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me, says the Lord. Time and time again throughout the Bible, we see the same truth asserted that there is one God, only one God, only one true God. And that all other gods are idols. It's interesting here that God, God declares himself to be a saviour, the saviour, the only saviour. And in the New Testament, we see that term being applied to the Lord Jesus. We need to be very, very encouraged and, and, um, and we need to take, take, uh, take notice and pay attention when we see Old Testament terms for God being applied to the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. An example of this is Isaiah 48, verse 11, where God says he will not yield his glory to another. And then in John 17, verse 5, Jesus talking about him having glory with the Father before the world began, before the creation of the world. So we see Jesus applying to himself titles and promises and claims about God, which prove his divinity. And we see that, see that here, don't we? Jesus Jesus himself is called the saviour and, and implies that he is the saviour and claims to be the saviour of the world but God says in Isaiah that he is the only saviour so that shows to us and proves to us that Jesus and God are both the same both part of the Holy Trinity and Christians need to be very confident in proclaiming the fact that there is only one God and that all other gods are no gods at all Then we see, don't we, in these verses, another amazing truth about God, which is this this, um, plea to sinners in verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. There really is nowhere else to turn to for sinners except to turn to God, as we were thinking last week. Turn to me and be saved is God's plea to sinners. The question is if, Jesus, if God is the Saviour and Jesus is the Saviour in the New Testament and God is calling people to be saved, what are we saved from? We'll find out in a minute, but let's look at the next verse, verse 23. There's a solemn decree of God. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. And when God says things like this in the scripture, it's a very, very solemn decree that God has ordained certain things to happen. And no human plan or any other spiritual power can, can stop this, prevent this from happening when God has decreed something. What is it that God decrees here? He says here, before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. So we see here um, God saying that that he has ordained it to be that one day every knee will bow before him. That's talking about the universal submission to God. By him, every tongue will swear. Romans 14 verse 11, Paul quotes this in terms of the judgment to come. Philippians 2, Paul Paul says very similar things about the Lord Jesus, doesn't he? There one day will be a universal submission to Christ, a confession of him as Lord. That includes all people who live today and all people that, that have ever lived, who will be raised up on the last day, and all will confess him and all will be judged. In verse 24, they will say of me, In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. So there will come a day when God's enemies will come before him, bow the knee to him. All those who raged against him will be put to shame. That doesn't mean just embarrassed. That's talking about a complete defeat. The Lord will defeat his enemies and make them submit to him. God's enemies will no longer be able to look to their idols. They'll say, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. They'll they'll understand that the idols they've looked to are no no gods at all. They're, They're impotent and weak and useless. They're not a source of salvation, but the Lord God is the one who is righteous and strong. And then we have this final verse in verse 25. In the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exalt. So that's talking about not ethnic Israel, but the people of God, the gathered people of God from every nation, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people will be found righteous. They'll be justified, found to be at peace with God. And they will exalt. That means they will rejoice in God's salvation. So we see a God who will bring judgment but also a God who brings salvation and his son the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who can deliver those who believe in him so we should take comfort in the fact that God's purposes will not be thwarted we have a God who tolerates no rivals a God who is capable of defeating his enemies working out his purposes a God who will be seen as great In the earth, and his son, the Lord Jesus, who will also be seen as great and exalted and worshipped, and a God who saves his people, and a God who brings about rejoicing in the hearts of his people. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father, for these words that remind us of what a great God you are. We thank you that you are a righteous God and a strong God there is no other God but you you are the only God although people worship other things and give their affections and lives and hearts to other unworthy things we we thank you that by your grace we worship you as the true and living God you've called us to be your people you've enabled us to turn to you and receive the gift of salvation We thank you for our savior the Lord Jesus who came into this world to save sinners Father, we do pray in these days that many, many would turn to you and be saved. We pray that many would bow the knee to the Lord Jesus in these days. We also pray, Father, for us as Christians, that we would live lives worthy of the calling we have received. Lives of righteousness and holiness, and Lord, we pray that you would, in these days, correct anything in our hearts and lives which is not worthy of you which is not worthy of the high calling to which you've called us. We pray you would forgive us and be gracious to us. We pray that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God. We pray that we would shine like stars in this corrupt generation. We would live as your children. We would love one another. We would speak your word boldly. Father, we pray for your people at this time, scattered physically, but one in spirit. We pray for those who are anxious. We pray for those who are lonely, particularly. Those who, who fear losing their jobs or perhaps suffering a loss of income. Those who fear for elderly relatives. People from whom they're separated by this disease. We pray for all of them, particularly those who are your people, Lord, that you would quieten the hearts of those who are anxious and bring your peace. Bring your comfort and help us, Lord, as Christians to be the means which you use to bring your comfort to your people, to minister to each other. We also pray, Lord, as you've commanded us to pray for our leaders and governments. We thank you for them. We thank you that we we don't live in a lawless country where there's complete anarchy. We thank you, Lord, there is order and there there are states and there are governments and there are police services and health services and all these blessings which which although imperfect are given to you by your common grace to us we don't take them for granted we thank you lord for those who are serving and trying to alleviate human suffering and bring healing and help to those in need we pray for them for, for great wisdom for your care for your protection we pray lord as we said last week, that this country and many countries would turn to you and cry out to you in their desperation. We pray they wouldn't look to other sources of salvation. We pray today as we hear our brother David speaking this word, we pray that you would speak to us, remind us about the goodness of belonging to a church, how the local church is part of your plan, a very important key part of your plan for the evangelisation of the nations and for the, the good of your people pray, Lord, we will take to heart the message we hear this evening. pray you bless David and his family and his church as well in Guildford at this time. And also, please, Lord, we have your hand upon our fellow churches in Brighton, the large ones who might find it very difficult to keep everybody together, and the smaller ones like Park Hill and Ebenezer and New Life. We pray for them and, and your blessing and hand to be upon them in these days. Please keep all of us, Lord, walking closely to you at this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to sing a couple of songs. So actually, if you want to look up the the words, they should be attached um, on the website. So they're in the PDF file. But we're going to sing um, a version of the Lord's My Shepherd, Psalm 23, and also When Trials Come, No Longer Fear, which talks about the hope the Christian has in difficult times. So please join us and sing. The Lord bless you.
1: Today we're thinking about the visible church, the importance of the local church in God's plans and in God's purposes. Uh, Some of you may know Jim Sayers. Jim Sayers uh, is a brother who is part of a church, but he also works for the Grace Baptist Mission, where churches like ours work together to send workers around the world to plant churches and to strengthen churches around the world. Uh, so Jim is someone who serves us as a church and other local churches too in doing that. Um, uh, this is what Jim says. Jim says, a local church that preaches the gospel is the most eternity-shaping, heartbreaking, dead-raising, life-giving, heaven-empowered, grace-giving community there can ever be. And it is the center of God's mission. I'd love to hear him preach that. That would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? The importance of the local church in God's plans and purposes. Uh, If you pick up the bulletin that you received when you came in, you'll find a good summary of this teaching that we're going to think about today, the the, the visible church. Uh, And on it, a group of pastors have have written together and and thought about uh, why is the local church important? This is what they've said. Uh, They said, we believe that the universal church is the body of which Christ is the head, to which all who are saved belong, and that it is made visible in local churches. Local churches are organized gatherings of Christians who are united by a statement of faith which expresses the doctrines believed by the church. These doctrines are often highlighted and agreed by the members as they come into membership. Local churches are fed and shaped by the ministry of the word as the focus of their life together in Christ as a gathered church. Local churches are aided by the gospel signs of baptism and communion. Uh, Historically, um, uh, people say you want to know what a church is, a real church as opposed to one that just claims to be a church. But well, there must be a right and proper preaching of the word. The gospel has to be at the heart of it. And then it is framed by the ordinances or sacraments, some people call them, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The word is taught, people enter the church as they're converted, they're baptized, they join the church, and the life of the church flourishes and thrives around the meeting of the Lord's Supper together. We'll think about more about that in the week's in the weeks to come. But today we're thinking about the visible church, how the gospel uh, makes a community of believers together. The first thing to say then is through this is that the universal church is made visible in local churches. Now the word church means a gathering or an assembly. It's actually not a Bible word, it's a word from the world. So a political gathering is a church in New Testament times. Uh, remember back to your school days? Uh, you, the whole school was called to assembly. You had to gather and sit down on that hard floor for about half an hour as you sang and the knight won his spurs or whatever it was. So we assemble in all sorts of different ways. People were assembling for football matches over the weekend, very important gatherings. But the Bible uses the word church or gathering or assembly in at least two different ways. Firstly, the word church in the Bible can mean the universal church. Uh, We read in the Apostles' uh, Creed, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Not meaning the Roman Catholic Church. Is there proper preaching the gospel there? That's a good question. Uh, But we believe in, in the Holy Universal Church, the one gathering of God's people. All those who have been saved by God through his gospel of Jesus Christ, both in the past, the present, and the future. There is a universal church. Now, if you read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it tends there to speak about the church in this way, the universal church. Think of those great pictures. If the church is a body, there's the picture, Christ is the head. If the church is a building, Christ is the cornerstone. The church is like a bride. Christ is the husband. And God is forming his universal church. In fact, through the church, Paul says in Ephesians, He is displaying the riches of His grace to the universe. He's saying something through what He is building to the rulers and authorities in the heavens, as well as people on this earth, displaying the riches of His grace and kindness to us in Jesus. And one day that that universal church, the great gathering of all of God's people, will be complete. And if you are a Christian, you've been saved by the grace of God, you will be there on that final day, along with all of God's people, the church. What a day that will be. But we can't see the universal church. You can have connections with brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, Through social media, you can FaceTime friends in Singapore. But you can't see the universal church, the great gathering of God's people, brought from death to life from every age. No, in God's plans and purposes, it is the local church, individual gatherings of God's people, that makes the universal church visible. What you've come to and gathered into this morning... Is of eternal significance. This is what Paul does in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he writes to the local church, the visible church in Corinth. Just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 2. It's on page 1144 in the church Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. From verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. But who is he writing to? He's writing to the church of God that is in Corinth. The church of God, that is in Corinth. So he's writing to a visible local church in a city. A particular gathering of people in the city of Corinth who God has gathered together as his people. Now, if you read the letter of 1 Corinthians... you'll you'll see that Paul speaks of this church in a number of different ways. As Simon says, sometimes Paul says that they come in the church, come into the gatherings. Sometimes Paul speaks of the church coming together, which means that they gather at particular times. He also uh, pictures unbelievers coming in among them as they gather as a church. Uh, Paul speaks of unbelievers, other churches not just the local church but other churches individual gatherings of god's people in other parts of the world they are not on their own Uh, if we look at verse two um uh, 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 paul reminds them of this in his very introduction he says to the church of god in corinth to those sanctified in christ jesus called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. It seems that the Corinthians in their church were a bit kind of up themselves. They thought it was all about them. And Paul reminds them at the very beginning, yes, you're a local church, but there are other gatherings all around the world that God is bringing together. Uh, They are gatherings that pray, that call upon the name of the Lord too. So we're part of something that God is doing. Local churches in this city now and also around the country and all around the world, churches. So, the universal church in God's plans and purposes is made visible in local churches. And that's where our energy, our commitment is thrown as Christians. You become a Christian, you get baptized, you join a local church. You commit heart and soul to that group of people until God maybe translates you or takes you to glory as part of the universal church or he moves you on to a different city where you look for another church to be part of and serve in. Three things just from these verses that I want us to glean about the local church from 1 Corinthians 1, 1 1-9. Here they are. Local churches are God's churches. They're his work. They exist by his grace and they exist for his glory. Local churches are God's churches. They exist by his grace and they exist for his glory. First of all, let's think about the church being God's church. Look at verse 2. Paul describes the church in Corinth as the church of God. Church of God located in Corinth. He describes them as those who have been sanctified in Christ. And he calls them those who have been called to be holy, called to be holy ones or saints. The church belongs to God. The church has been sanctified by God in Christ Jesus. The church has been called by God to a particular purpose. Be holy in the city. Just stepping back from that, Simon was absolutely right in the children's talk. The church, therefore, is not a building, it is the people that God has set apart and gathered together. Uh, The building is often linked to the people. Just put your finger in this passage and turn to chapter 16, verse 19. Chapter 16, verse 19. Uh, And what does Paul say in chapter 16, verse 19? Uh, Paul gives some greetings at the end of the letter, and he says, The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. The church that meets at their house. The church was identified with a particular place. It was the church that met at Aquila and Priscilla's home. But when the church wasn't meeting, Aquila and Priscilla didn't live in the church. (laughs) They lived in their home. But their home hosted the church when it gathered. So, technically, I know we've had some lovely signs out there. And it's a lovely logo, Grace Church Guildford. But technically, the sign outside the front should say, Grace Church Guildford meets here and at Guildford Park Sunday mornings and together Sunday evenings. Come and join us. The elder who leads the service here should say, welcome to this gathering of Grace Church Guildford. Welcome friends visiting us. We are the church meeting together here. We are very privileged to own a building or two buildings now as a church. But I need to say that we would still be the church if we sold both those buildings and bought a different place. We could buy the House of Fraser and gather there and we'll be the church of meeting at House of Fraser. <laughs> I'm not saying we're going to do that. Unless you've got a lot of money you just want to. Yeah. Or uh, we could leave these buildings and we could all decide to squeeze into Simon's front lounge. Can you imagine that? What would the neighbours say? Hundreds of people gathered squeezing in. You, you can't, technically, can you? You need a big enough building. But here is the point, the church belongs to God, it is not ours, it is the gathering of people that God has brought together in one place, the church in Corinth. And therefore, this gathering is unlike any other gathering or meeting or community. Some people are drawn to the local church because it's, because it's kind of, they get a feel for community, they miss something of society and they want to come together, maybe that's you, that's a great reason to come along. But that's not the reason why we gather. We gather because God has gathered us through the gospel. So Paul says the Corinthian church is God's church. God has gathered them. And two words show God's work of gathering his people in these verses. Uh, He says that they are sanctified as a church and they are called as a church to a purpose. First of all, that this church has been sanctified Uh, That means it's been set apart by God for himself. It's been holified. Uh, The language comes from the Old Testament. It's really to do with life in the temple. Uh, Therefore, the the priests in the temple, the the kind of materials that were used in the temple, the the, the vessels there, they they were called to be cleansed and made holy, set apart only for use by God. Well, Paul uses this language to speak not just of things or a temple, but of a people that God has set apart for himself within the city. They are a sanctified people. How has God done it? He's done it in Christ Jesus, verse 2 says. He has united a group of people by the regenerating, the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit giving them faith in Christ, he's united a group of people to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again, and through that they have been cleansed of their impurity, their sin, and now, as a a community, they are clean and gathered together for God in that city. God's work. Setting apart, sanctifying this group. Uh, Look at chapter 3, verse 16. Paul picks up on this kind of set-apart-for-God language, this temple language, as he challenges the church to remember what God has done amongst them. Chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know, church in Corinth, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? God's temple is sacred. You are That temple. This isn't just like any other gathering. This is the great setting apart of a people to be the temple of God where God dwells by his spirit. The local church. The visible display of the universal church. Secondly, uh, Paul says in chapter 1 verse 2 that the church has been called together for a purpose. To be holy, to be holy ones. Uh, that word, "call" uh, really speaks of what we call God's effectual calling. It, it, it's not like um, sometimes I kind of shout upstairs, Kids, it's breakfast time! Kids, it's breakfast time! Sorry, I got distracted. Kids, eventually they stomp down. And human calling, you know, we can say, and we can even with authority say, but, but it's not always listened to and responded to immediately. But this call from God to gather his church together has power. It's more like a, you know a spaceship with its tractor beam, and the call goes out, and the people that God is gathering hear, and they're in the beam, and they come Their hearts are changed and they're drawn together through the gospel. It's the effectual call of God. And God has called together a group of people in the city of Corinth to be holy. So he set them apart for himself. Now he's called them to be holy ones, to be saints together. So, yes, they live in the city, they're part of their communities but together they are God's holy ones representing him to the city of Corinth. This is God's church. People whom God has set apart for himself, he's called together and called to be holy together. All because of the gospel. If that's true, then... The formation of the church, its life, its future, is all of God's grace. Grace Church is a good name, isn't it? It's God's grace that formed the church. And God forms the church. He, he draws in people by his power together through the gospel of Jesus. The life-changing message of Jesus. Uh, what is that gospel? Look look at Keep your finger there, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's just read some of those verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel church you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, church, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as of one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. God gathers his church. He forms his church by his grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message of Christ that was delivered to Paul that he passed on. Paul would not have liberty to change it. He was responsible as an apostle for delivering it. And we have it written in the scriptures for us. So this message comes from the word of God, the Bible. It is centered on the death of Jesus Christ for our sins in verse 3, according to the scriptures. It speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as our Lord. And it speaks also of the saving power of God through his grace to bring people into his family. And it's this message that forms the church. You take away the gospel, uh, you, you you change it, you move it from its central place in the church, and the church starts to drift away from what a church is. And eventually, it may have a building, it may have a label, but it's not a church. Uh, if you're thinking of moving to a different city, one of the main things you have to do is to look for a church. It will make or break you as a Christian. And the first thing you have to do is to ask about that church what do they believe? what do they believe if they cannot be clear up front that they believe the gospel of Jesus as it 's written here, die for our sins rose again if they emphasize that in their messages they may call themselves a church but be very very careful be very very careful so this is the grace of God through the gospel that forms the church uh, If you go back to chapter 1, you also see that the grace of God uh, transforms the church. Look at verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God for you, church in Corinth, because of his grace given you in Jesus. Yes, that's the the grace of God in the gospel that saves you, but also the grace of, of God at work in you now, transforming you and strengthening you and equipping you. Now, if you know what the church in Corinth was like from Paul's letter, you know that the church had huge problems. Yet when Paul begins his letter, he encourages them and says, I thank God for the grace I see in you from God. He points to the evidence of God's grace in them, he points to the gifting that God has given them. Yeah, they had problems with their spiritual gifts, they were using them rather without love. But the very fact that the gifts were there were evidence of God's grace poured out upon them. They, they were enriched in every way. God was at work amongst them, equipping them, transforming them. Verse 4, he talks about their, their speech and their knowledge as evidence of God was at work amongst them. They had to use them in the right way. For God's plans and purposes to build the church up. But they were evidence that God had been at work They were lacking no spiritual gifts. And one of the great things about the local church, founded on the gospel, as we live, as we function, as we use the gifts that God has given us, it's evidence of his continued grace to us. Grace that saves us. Grace that empowers us. And also, at the end of these verses, grace that keeps us, sustains us. Look at verses 8 and verse 9. Paul says, God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that is faithful. God formed you. God equips you. And God will keep you. He is faithful. This is the wonderful confidence we have as a church, as we hold to the gospel, as we seek to be a family together, that God will keep us. God will sustain us. Our very existence from beginning to end is all down to his grace. And if that's true, if we're local churches formed by God, by his grace in the gospel, his presence amongst us, then we exist as a body, as a church, all for God's glory. Look at verse 4. Where does Paul put the spotlight? He didn't put the spotlight on the giftedness of the church. He not even put the spotlight on his importance as an apostle. He puts the spotlight firmly on God. I thank my God for you. Just look at chapter 1, verse 28. Paul again challenges them. Chapter 1, verse 28. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Stop thinking you're kind of big. <laughs> he chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him in themselves. No, it's because of God that you, church, are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The existence of this church, its life, its future, all grounded on the gospel, has one great purpose, to glorify God and to make that gospel known. I'll supply this in a, in a few ways as we finish. Maybe you're here today and you're not yet committed to the local church. You're a Christian, you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, and you understand the universal church, but can I say to you biblically, that should lead you into the local church that the universal church is displayed. I encourage you to take away one of these books. It's called Why Bother With Church by Sam Albury. Hopefully it will encourage you uh, to have a heart and understanding for what God is doing in local communities of his people in the local church. Please do take one of those books away. Now. Thinking about this, that the universal church is made visible in the local churches. We are God's workmanship. We're by his grace. We're for his glory as a church. Uh, and then that means, as we consider this series coming up, as we think about what does the Bible teach about this subject? We think about conversion next week. Then we must approach this topic humbly. Church is not something that we are at liberty just to tweak and to change according to every whim and fashion. Uh, We must be led by the Bible, remembering that we are God's church by his grace, for his glory. As we go through this series, what does the Bible teach about all these things? We may even find we have to change some of our practices to make it conform even more in our day uh, to what the Bible teaches. But we approach the topic humbly. Uh, Thinking about Hazelmere, it's wonderful to have been asked to consider Planting a church in that town. But if the local church uh, is God's church, by his grace for his glory, then we'd better do that dependence upon him. We'd better ask God about it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 2. It says that there are those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. We have a prayer meeting, a monthly prayer meeting now at Hope Chapel Building in Hazelmere. The next one is Thursday, 7.30 for an 80 o'clock start. We pray, Lord, the church is at yours. What do you want us to do in this place? Next, brothers and sisters of Grace Church, If this is true that God in his wisdom has set us apart and called us together to be holy in this gathering in Guildford, then we must remember the great thing that God has called us to. The local church should not be on the sidelines of our lives, it should be at the very centre of our time, our efforts, our ambitions our families where is God's church in your weekly diary in your prayers in your attendance a local church that preaches the gospel is the most eternity shaping heartbreaking, dead raising life giving, heaven empowered grace giving community there can ever be and it is the centre of God's mission finally finally Verses 8-9, to If if the local church is God's church by his grace for his glory, then we can take strength and encouragement from what Paul says in these verses. We can trust together God for the future of this church because it is his church, it is not ours. And may God keep us united, seeking his will for the future.